0: No religion, no more bridges about this is hardcore podcast you just heard gridiron no good at goodbyes that's the title track off this band's debut lp which is uh up for pre-order now on triple b records matt carl you might have heard him on our christmas special our boy will from never ending game xavier who did insane hip-hop Fucking record that he did during the pandemic Dude's in Simulacra He was playing Year of the Knife That Tyler Mullen was an agitator Was in uh That emo band Fills in sometimes but also sings for Year of the Knife This is like one of these New hybrid bands where Most of the people live in one area And then one dude lives off in outer space And he writes crazy riffs and they come together And the kids love it And I fuck with these people This record's crazy. We're doing a record release for it. April 9th. The Polish Club in Phoenixville. Had some pushback. Some people said, why is it in Phoenixville? Why is it in Philly? Like I would just randomly decide, you know what? Philly doesn't get this. We're going to the fucking Polish Club. We're lucky that Soda and Adam reached out and said, hey, if you guys ever need a venue, especially with the pandemic and all the rules in Philly... Polish clubs always open, and, and because of that, there's so many shows starting to happen that we didn't have the venues in Philly, all right? That's why it's in Phoenixville, but I'm fucking happy it's in Phoenixville. We got a ton of shows coming to that room. This shit's going to be crazy. Tsunami's coming the fuck out here. That's right, Tsunami from the Bay. It's going to be nuts. Can't wait. But big ups to these guys. Uh, in relation to the topic at hand tonight, we'll go back into this, but... I imagine if I was a kid again and I played this from somebody, not the people in Floor Punch, but the people who listen to Floor Punch would probably be like, this is a fucking like wigger metal stuff. This is some fucking rap bullshit. This is some metal bullshit. This has nothing to do with hardcore. And it correlates back to what we're going to talk about tonight or where I'm going to talk about, not where, as is a solo job. But this is Gridiron. They fucking kill it. Support them. They killed it at FYA. Back when they did the demo, they were nice enough to let me jump on it. So I appreciate them. Check this shit out. Now, getting into the topic quickly because we'll cap all the Philly Hardcore shows at the end. It would be easy for me to be a little bit of a cunt for the clicks and title this episode... Why I don't think that turnstile on Jimmy Kimmel is going to be a really big deal for hardcore. But it goes deeper than that. And it it needs to be said that turnstile, it's not just about talent. It's not just about timing. It It comes down to so many different variables that it really is like hitting a 105-mile-an-hour fastball for them to grow exponentially in the last seven years. I mean, they played it. This is hardcore. People were capping them. Record was doing the business. They sold out this crazy show in a frozen tundra atmosphere at the voltage, and they've been growing the last seven years. And uh, a lot of bands don't have growth like that. A lot of bands don't continue to shine. And not only exist, but grind and grow and grind and grow the way turnstile had in the last seven years. And there's so, I mean, we could literally spend 75 hours just breaking them down. And I feel like they're getting into the crosshairs of people because it's popular to talk about. And, you know, my boy, uh, the punk rock NBA Finn, good dude. Um. He's got topics like this where his YouTube will be like, this is 20 reasons why, blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to be that kind of guy here. But I see this shit on the internet, and it's worth talking about. So the way that I approach this, and again, you know, just so people are listening, I'm not some 65-year-old dude. I didn't see bad brains. But in 1990, I was 10 years old and glued to Saturday night waiting for Headbangers Ball. My walls were adorned with heavy metal magazines. Within two years of that point, starting to be able to expand and go down the South Street, any possible printed material on music, punk rock, heavy metal, and then through that pages hardcore first Thrasher magazine, these other magazines, and then the zines and some of the bigger magazines that were like Covering some of the hardcore stuff, the headbangers ball exposing the shit, like the fucking biohazard video, the, seeing cro videos, seeing patches on people's jackets at metal shows, seeing South Street and seeing these different things, I started picking up on all these other, I call them subculture icons, whatever you want to call it, I started absorbing this. Sort of absorbing it the same fucking way that when we're talking about this Jimmy Kimmel thing, I have to disagree. If I would have heard something like a turnstile when I was at that age, I would have seen them play a rock concert, not a hardcore show and I wouldn't have been sold on hardcore because what I got was a fucking rock concert. you understand? Now, this isn't a diss, dig, or a put-down of Turnstile, but at the stage in their career, you will be very hard-pressed to see them play a show for under 1,000 tickets. And if you do, more than likely, it'll be sold out very quickly by younger persons who are not hardcore, and it won't have the same kind of vibe As seeing your very first hardcore band. Because by the time that this Kimmel thing and them dudes do their thing. Once a band gets big into the regular atmosphere of music lovers and parents who buy their kids tickets. As a promoter watching tickets sell very quickly for very small shows for giant bands. It's very hard for the actual fans the hardcore whatever you want to call it. To get them tickets. So the argument made that this exposure of this turnstile on this Jimmy Kimmel is going to be the burgeoning of a new era for hardcore, and that's just not true. In fact, poor kids, you know, they they deserve everything. They deserve all the accolades for their hard work, for their musicianship, for their creativity. And, you know, you sit down with them, I'm sure they've got a lot on their shoulders in trying to live up to what people have as far as talking and expectations. It's got to be weird for a kid who's not even fucking 30 to look on Twitter and there's hundreds of people constantly discussing whether or not this band is the fucking next messiah. But the truth is, is the music that they're playing sonically has nothing to do with hardcore. So the person who's watching who has no attachment to hardcore, argumentatively, isn't going to be like, oh, this is clearly hardcore punk. And now because of this, I'm going to go off and start my own fucking fanzine and 16 new bands. It's fucking ridiculous to even think that. So, this turnstile thing is something that people talk about and people who pay for their lives with beaten, sold clicks on the TikToks and the YouTubes. And, you know, maybe they got some bullshit career in one of them fucked up magazines. That they have to write about this shit to seem relevant. But the truth is it's not there. Turns out is an anomaly. A very successful band that grew from the underground. And may they become bigger than the fucking Stooges ever were. You know, my hat's off to them. But what their what their presence is on this show has no bearing. On the everyday operations of the everyday hardcore kid. The everyday hardcore band. And that's his final. And there's a couple reasons for the finality to it. There were bands at a bigger level 30 years ago, 20 years ago, who were getting exposed in these kind of ways. And the hardcore scene reacted pretty similarly. I don't think that there was a time that I can recall where shit that was popping off in a different fashion didn't get rebuked by the hardcore scene. Biohazard? Forever. Forever. Forever people weren't fucking with them or people would have these pushback arguments saying oh they're not really a hardcore band for all these different reasons aesthetics, vibes you know, it, it's ridiculous I mean, Walter and I have yet to record the part 2 but I imagine we're going to get into it and we're quicksands out here playing small clubs and building their name up and people are immediately because of the sonic presence of the band deciding that they are not a hardcore band yet this is Walter fucking treffles Youth of Today, Warzone, Gorilla Biscuits. And yet, what he and Richie, for those who listen to the Richie Underdog podcast, which probably came out almost a fucking year ago, you know, these guys were starting something new, and the terminology was post-hardcore, which in the early 2000s, record label lazy motherfuckers and bullshit magazine writers would co-opt that term and put it to this bullshit warp Tour pop metal But the true post-hardcore was laid at the feet of the people who were in these fucking bands in 86 to 88 who started playing a sonically different sound, more of an indie rock twinge, which later, as that would grow from the underground and birth into what they would call the grunge scene, you know, these guys were on the forefront of that just doing their own thing. Now, for me, when I listened to this stuff, because I got hip to the idea that quicksand was the Gorilla Biscuit dude, I'm like, oh, fuck. It's like hardcore guys, but they're playing a different kind of thing. But by the time I was immersed in this, you know, like there was 120 minutes, you know, like you got to remember in 1993, I seen sick of it all biohazard and Sure terror at the TLA. I was 12 turning 13, 41 turning 42. I didn't know shit about hardcore, but I knew I saw that shit and it fucking blew me away. And because I stayed up late at nights and watched Saturday Night Live, watched Headbangers, well, yeah, I seen fear and, you know, I knew enough from people's patches who were playing uh, Dungeon Dragons with my cousin Bill about Dead Kennedys and Misfits or whatever, but I wasn't hip. I wasn't in. I wasn't a part of nothing. It's a little fucking stupid kid from Frankfurt. It would take a while for me to get immersed. And the reason why it would take a while is the forefront of this conversation today which is the the contrast to why Turnstile is not going to be that big of a huge fucking impact and crater to hardcore, whether positive or negative, is because the last time I seen something that really had a huge, lasting, decades-long impact on the growth and overall direction of hardcore was something that, because it's so ubiquitous, and so integrated to every facet of our fucking life in 2022, it is overlooked as the possible key to this argument. And that's the fucking internet. The hardcore scene way before my time grew like a seed in a piece of shit crack in fucked up concrete and by luck of the draw grew out and blossomed into something. And by the time when I found hardcore, early 90s, by the time I started really being a person that wasn't at a couple hardcore shows a year, but it was like something that I did every weekend was the end of 94, 95, really starting to go to every single show because I was getting older. You know, I started leaving my initial friend group that found all the metal concerts and started going out like just being able to roll with my fucking boys. And go to some shows But that came later First it was just going to some shows Going to concerts Checking out And like yeah we thought we knew some punk shit We thought we were in on some hip stuff You know But there was no fucking internet Everything was at face value Everything was what you physically What you physically had in front of you What you physically listened to What someone put you on to what you had to see with your own eyes and hear with your own ears not something that someone could have typed over a fucking screen and you could immediately just be all in on you know uh, there is years where I was completely wrong about so many aspects to hardcore, heavy metal, punk rock because I didn't have the click in front of me to contrast, compare notes learn stuff and it's why at 41 i'm buying every fucking book in fact recommendation rare bird press for 55 dollars, you get three books of jerry a lang from poison idea it's childhood growth of the band and after the band i'm in the middle of the second book and it's choked me up it's fucked me up and this man whether you fuck with poison idea or not his book his story his words are fucking fantastic and had I had access to this at 12 or 13, I would have been a different person than I am right now. So I'm both lucky and just trying to alliterate a point that the ubiquitous nature and the all-serving eye and pressure that the internet puts on everything in our entire society right now is the thing that changed hardcore. Precipitously, so many more fucking ways than the whole entire Fucking Turnstile or any band that's ever grown. When well, you want to bring up fucking Hatebreed, you want to bring up Title Fight, you want to fucking throw any number of these fucking bands out there, and it's all going to come out to the same—not a negative loss, but it comes down to the same stuff. You know, it comes down to the same simple fucking pattern over and over and over again. These waves have hit us every single time. There's been either uh, a group of bands or singular presence or sometimes in the form of something like the victory records era where these like spurts of more people coming to the shows and what was coming to two years before that these bands that were growing beyond the reach of the underground were bringing new people in. You know, I saw it during the earth crisis, the VOD, you wouldn't see it so much during the mad ball, but you definitely saw it in the earth crisis, the VOD, the Snapcase, you know, um, later in the late 90s, the Hatebreed, the Converge, the American Nightmares. When these bands have these kind of like surge of energy and this electricity and this magnetism pulls people to the shows where people are, oh, no, I don't I, you know, I'm not really familiar, but I heard this band or my friend put me onto this band. You know, you could say the same thing about the early 2000s, maybe 2003 and the four when terror was really starting to fucking jump out. You know, in any different era that you can think of when you were going to shows, there's a band, and there's a record, and there's a time where that little fucking EKG monitor population of hardcore spikes for a little bit. And every time it comes out, maybe that person, you know, sticks around, sees some shows, might even play in a fucking band. Might even actually fucking do something for a little bit. But, you know... Not to sit back on my fucking laurels here, but you know, almost 30 years of being in this whole thing, and I wish I had a dollar for every person who told me I used to play in a hardcore band, and I didn't know the name of the band, because they like did seven shows and that's it. You know, um, I had this funny idea that at some point, probably 25 or 30 years from now, there's going to be a link or something digital or whatever which way we're interfacing with the internet where you're going to be able to click one button and be exposed to every single piece of recorded music that was digitized in the entire duration of the hardcore punk scene and we're not that far off from it I mean there's yeah, obviously the avenues like the YouTubes and the band camps back in the late 90s and the early 2000s for those of you who were going onto them blog spots and downloading those fucking demos, all the rare shit, those of you who still have those external hard drives with that shit saved, you'll remember the excitement of seeing someone re like playfully remaster something or like add live tracks to this, you know, like, oh you know. Um, what was for me interesting was seeing these kind of things pop up. But now seeing the scope of streaming and what it's become I don't think we're that far from it where an entire hardcore library is at a click of a finger. There you go. Here it is. All 50 years of hardcore. Right in front of you. And that's the massive difference. That's the game changer. You know, yeah. There were people from hardcore who grew from being like unaware of shit and saw different elements. I mean, the argument can be made for a sick of it all. At any given time, I'd say, people from... I mean, at any given time, in any given area, if a band is more popular, they're more popular than the other bands, it means people from outside of the world are showing up. But it's the retention. It's not the retention of like, oh, well, that person showed up for two, three years. It's the person who's like, Nah, you know what? I, I caught on to this thing, and it's still something I live with, and blah, blah, blah. And and this isn't an advocacy that if you don't go to every single show, and you're not a lifer, then you have no part of hardcore. That's not where I'm going at it. So get that right the fuck out of your fucking mouth and head, you stupid motherfucker. What I'm saying is there's a lot of people who ride in on one wave, and they ride back to the sea, and they come back to the ocean, and that's it. Huh? Done. Whatever sand they made, every mark on the sand is gone, wiped away with the next wave. And that's it. It's all it's ever been. You know, um, it makes everything precious. It makes every show important. And I've said this on stage and I've said this on here. Every single time you go to a show, it doesn't matter if you're seeing the same show five times in a week because you've seen them in five separate venues, which means five separate kinds of people. Every hardcore show is an individual little snowflake in its own world. Different than the last. Important to be at for all the different elements and reasons. And you, because you're a participation kind of person, unless you sit in the back and just look, play with your fucking phone and tweet the whole time, you have this ability to inflict and change, or should I say infect and change, the outcome of the show. You know, it's always that first person who cracks open the pit. Gets the circle going. It's always that first person who's like, fuck it, I'm going to go for the dive. And then it happens. Every minute of a hardcore show, someone can step up and make that thing. But I mean, let's say someone goes to shows for two and a half, three years, maybe even four. I mean, at this age, most of you, hopefully, at least can remember that. Are you guys sitting back and remember, okay, hey, remember that guy? I don't remember his name, but he like did that stage dive. Oh, you remember that guy? Yeah, he came around for a little bit and he's gone. So many people at this point. And and, and again, there is an entire industry because people don't buy print now where they've got to gab and they've got to gossip and they've got to kind of troll you into social media interactions in the comments just to kind of feed the algorithm monster. But this is the real shit. The internet is really what changed hardcore. It changed every aspect of what it was it changed the dimensions and it opened, like when we talk about that, and we've said this a million times in the podcast, so many fucking hours between this and the rule of three, and everyone's podcast is also the same thing, that there is no fucking gate with the internet. Plain and simple. There ain't no fucking gate keeping when you got the motherfucking internet. And that's just fucking final. And, and tying this back into the turnstile gimmick, it's like, look, if you're telling me someone, some kid, some kid, right, is watching Jimmy Gimmel. You yeah, got your fucking, out of your fucking rabbit ass mind. These fucking kids are on TikTok. They're jerking off the Pornhub. They're playing fucking Fortnite. They're sitting around going, oh my god, I can't wait to see who's going to fucking play on Jimmy Kimmel." The dude's a fucking has-been bullshit comic. Who had a funnier show on The Man Show. Sold out being a real comic to be some bitch-ass fucking broke ass version of fucking letterman or fucking johnny carson and this is probably the biggest pop he's got from the 18 to 25 crop in fucking years and, and there's a slew of bands there's a slew of bands who have played on a slew of these night shows you know 120 minutes was a huge fucking show bigger than a jimmy kimmel in audience in weekly presence people were excited about it and all the fucking bands played all of them played quicksand i mean dude quicksand was on fucking mtv you know like and again the wave came in the wave goes back out in it's what it is you know this this internet world has so much to offer as far as research and learning shit but the fucking storage of your brains are so fucking temporary the depth of what you know is so fucking shallow you might know a lot of stuff or heard of a lot of stuff but your deep interactions and your knowledge if you're with some of these young kids is fucking infinitesimal in comparison to what the fucking regular person and fucking hardcore punk had to know before the fucking beginnings of the fucking chat rooms you know you either knew or you fucking didn't you know it, it, there's no fucking getting around it and, and there's this thing That I see. Or I should correct in my own timeline. I learned. And I still learn. About shit. 10. 20. 30. And 40 years ago. I'm learning today. I'm learning yesterday. I'm reading about for tomorrow. This shit for me never gets old. Now I'm not telling you to sign up. Because it's a fucking. It's what I do. It's my gimmick. You want to jump in. That's cool too. But. But. I didn't come out of my mom's ass waving the fucking victory and pain fucking record. A because I was born two years before it came out. But more importantly is you get into the culture, you look like a fucking moron. You don't look cool, but you got a baby face and you're out there at the show. If you're lucky, you know a couple people so you don't get punched in the face back then. Nowadays it's a lot easier. It's like here's your pre here's your pre-bought ticket on the internet. Here's your stamp on your hand. Go see your show. Use your credit card to buy a piece of merch. It's not like the old days, and that's fine. But, you know, I don't expect every kid to walk in knowing everything about the first 10 years of hardcore. And I know that it was in reverse for me, as it is for so many people. You get in, the first step is you know it's around you. Or you know the thing that got you to the point where you walked in the door for your very first show. And it's that thing right there. Name me young kids who aren't already on the internet looking at a terrestrial TV show these days. Jimmy Kimmel would be richer than Joe Rogan if he just had his own fucking podcast but or his own YouTube show or something, but instead he's on some bitch ass network thing. And, and yeah, there's people that are on it, but that's not, network isn't the fucking thing anymore. It's not the fucking driving force of media. They're fucking the reporters of what's happened two months ago. They're behind on everything. You know, this shit moves so fast. This internet, this Twitter, this fucking TikTok, Instagram live, YouTube live. This shit is now, 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 now. No live off air taping and all this stuff. Now that doesn't take away from the presence of being on a Jimmy Kimmel, but it doesn't give any accolades to the hardcore scene. In fact, even when the Saturday Night Live thing happened in eighty four or whatever with the Fear, that wasn't like tomorrow there was 10,000 people who watched Saturday Night Live at Fear or at Dead Kennedys or at the Cro-Mags when they had their fucking demo out. Like, fucking didn't shit didn't do anything like that. People were cognizant. If they were, if they're hip, they were. If they weren't, they weren't. And that's something that needs to be understood. You know, like... The entire culture is so quickly and easily consumed on social media, digitally, that we're like fucking goldfish. We eat the little flake, we move on. And I guess when you want to talk about it, yeah, the way that this thing is consumed now is so so, totally different than in the analog era, pre-digitized music. Pre-social media, instantaneous, knowing every single thing that's happening in the planet. Things were different. You know? It's not as quick. You don't just get to download a track from that good, good fucking gridiron. And that triple B and that from within record shit. You gotta go and either find a magazine and see an ad... Or maybe if someone was hip and would put you on to something. And yo, let me check this out. Let me show you something. You know, let me, yo, yo, we're in a car. We're all going to this trip up to CC's or going to the pipeline in some girl's car that Bushy convinced to drive us, even though she doesn't know what hardcore is. And we're checking out some new shit. That's the way it was. You had to physically interact, sitting down and listening, couldn't skip ahead hold that fast forward (laughs) fuck that and then for the old heads you gotta flip the tape fast forward on the backside just to get back to that track again it's why everything that we came across we consumed and we revered because it wasn't instantaneous and it always led down other paths oh what else is going on you know you read here's a word you read the fucking thanks list for the band names for me, I, I, dude, I'm an avid reader. Rode the L a lot of my time. I was going to school in downtown, so I spent a lot of time on the L reading. Just read at home. You know, read books, read magazines, loved rock magazines, had the pictures all over my walls since I was a kid. Basically looked like a bunch of like dudes in drag queen and hair metal. That was my wall until I found heavier metal shit. And then the first time I saw black metal in a fucking English magazine, I'm like, what is this shit? This is fucking crazy. Then I went through this whole satanic death metal shit. My mom was like, what the fuck is this Satan shit? Now she's trying to put me in the CCD because she's worried I'm going to have to go to the public school and get into fights. Who knows I'm getting into fights anyway because I had long hair in a black neighborhood. But I digress. Everything we did was exciting. Every demo purchase, every CD in the dirt bin because I didn't have that money and you know we've talked about it with the juice in so many episodes where at first it was ripping off the cassettes the BMGs and the, you would go ahead and you would order 12 c tapes they would come to your house boom you'd never pay them so many times but these these hardcore records weren't really on there this is fucking underground shit so I'm talking about some metal shit I'm talking about some of the bigger punk records might be on there but let's be fucking real hardcore you had a fucking find you had a sift You know what sifting is? Throwing a fucking ton of sand and shaking the bitch and hoping to hit for something. That's the fuck I we had to do. I'm not trying to say this old man. I had to go ahead and walk 1,400 miles in 15 feet of snow. I'm saying the interaction of the fucking way you immerse yourself in this fucking culture was so definitively different than the experience. Not less than, if we're comparing 1993 or 1994 to 2000, to 2001 and 2002, as more people began to get away from the AOL disc and the beginning of the fucking faster internet, and those chat rooms became websites. Hardcore was so much quicker to expand. But yet the size of these shows weren't that much fucking bigger. In fact, to be completely fair and honest with you, Hate breed, sick of it all. All these shows went in the in the nineties, some of these shows were a thousand people, and everybody went. And we get to the two thousands, and like yeah, the, Robbie had this E V R. Robbie and Sean Agnew, Robbie helped out, had this E V R. showcase in two days. That venue only hold like six seven hundred people. Like the shows before the internet, to me, I always felt were bigger. And a crazy way to compare this all is. You want to talk about big, no internet, exploit it, is playing three or 4,000 people at the fucking Olympic Auditorium in Southern California. So if the internet is growing shit, how the fuck is LA that big at that point so early on in the convergence and the explosion of punk and hardcore? And my answer is because it was an analog world. Because everything was physical to the touch. Which you couldn't sit at home and live tweet about not being at a show. You didn't have a friend who is live streaming. There wasn't pictures immediately available. There wasn't Instagram stories to look at as the show's happening. You had to be there to be there. If you didn't go, you didn't know. And you didn't want to know, so you always went. You found the way. By Rook by crook jumping in a car staying overnight in a train station because you missed the last train that goes from North Jersey or New York City to Trenton and having to wait till 5:23 or whatever the fuck the random number was for the first train that leaves from Trenton back to Philadelphia that was my Friday mornings going up to the pipeline you know, that was my fucking Friday morning sometimes if we went up to New York City and we stayed out on a Sunday. Sitting in that fucking piss, nasty ass, Trenton ass fucking bullshit train station. Everything felt like you have to fucking be there. Not, nah oh, you know what? I'll wait for Sonny to put it up on the fucking internet. We had to be there. And this isn't contrast and comparison. My time was better than yours it's not I'm just saying is when we start talking about the impact we start talking about what's really going to shape hardcore to come remember that bitch ass fucking refuse record that everyone was like all the art people were dying to write in their magazine this is the future of rock music and this band is on a trajectory to be this and they broke up they came back they got a shit ton of money God bless them to play some festival and then they played this hardcore as like a pre show after that. It was pretty cool. Rich Hall pulled that or after show, you know, like a like as like a cool, hey, let's make it happen and it'll be cool kind of thing. You know, but like at every single time when these dickheads who write these things start talking about these bands, time and time again, oh yeah, we saw that. We saw how they said, This thing's gonna change this band. This, this, this band, this record's gonna change music. And it's not unlike the Mid- Middle Ages where every fucking, every century, people were scared at the end of the century, that was it, at the millennia, that the world was over. And I feel as the clicks and the views are so important in the metric form of what happens on the internet, every time something happens, it's built up and boistered to be the catalyst of something new, the catalyst of what to come. And with no, with no respect given that the band's playing the current music are just recycling or bringing in an amalgamation of ideas set forth by records that were out 50, 40, 30 years ago by rock bands you know it's it's impossible at this stage unless you create a, a instrument no one has played to really create an out of this world never heard before piece of music because it, it's so vast how much there is been recorded played etc and, and 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 back to the turnstile you know like these guys are just hip to music that the younger crowd or people that don't aren't familiar with aren't tapping into these um these these rock bands and this 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 vibe I mean, it's such a lazy thing because Franz is in it or maybe just in general because of some of the rhythms that people are like, oh, this is the Bad Brains. It's fucking lazy. You know, the Bad Brains was one thing. This turnstile thing, again, is on some totally different shit because even the writers of the music have the internet and the and the ability to almost like time travel and listen to entire catalogs of music instantaneously where it would take someone within the outside of the digital world back in the analog thousands of dollars thousands of hours and thousands of hours of listening listening buying procuring and playing to become familiar with this music but it's in this digital age that these kind of ideas can kind of flow so quickly and I think that's what Turnstile drawing from as they become this like power pop act but so many bands have hit these marks before you know they said this shit about Green Day and and it goes to another thought which is to now I'm going to officially dissect and disconnect Turnstile because it's not this episode about them this is about the internet it's about the way that the internet has shaped everything and the internet presses everything forward and Turnstile is just another name in the sea of bands and things that have been pushed, you know, um, I wasn't a 77 rocker, never put that egg shit in my hair, never dyed my hair, never put anything that wasn't satanic on my body, so I didn't do the Sid Vicious, there was people already doing it, and every times I saw someone doing it, I wanted to be the opposite of that person, but then, like that Rancid, The Green Day, all that stuff comes out. Later, The Offspring. Even a band that I fucked with because of Old Heads, Bad Religion had it, like a video on MTV. And I was reading magazines over and over again. This is the end of punk. This is the beginning of a new punk. These punks are selling out. These punks are changing. And it's like, Bad Religion's wrote the same record for 29 years. Maybe 30 years at this point. They're all interchangeable. The melodies are fantastic. Some of the lyrics are absolutely outstanding and brilliant for as... Ridiculous as his lexicon is. It's insane that he can still find sing-alongs with these fucking deep thoughts and all this crazy shit. But a lot of it's already regurgitated. Um, and as these bands grow in popularity, a hardcore show never changed the size. Maybe new people came, but they left quick. You know, the friends I'm friends with at 13... Ah, man, I might have six that still fuck with shows from time to time. The people I'm friends with at 15, we're in the dozens. Now, if we're just talking in Philadelphia, there's less than 50, maybe 80 people from 20 years ago that I see more than once in a fucking blue moon from 20 years ago and, and there's the you know every year it goes up more people come out but the shift those people don't come out as much and, and you know at every wave of that the thing I just marked out is some band with some giant record that's going to change the infrastructure and the size of and this is the one that's really going to blow the roof off the underground and it never happened It never happened once. You know, um, a band grows. Their demand grows. The capitalism involved in the industry immediately sets them on a path where they're not playing the small rooms because they're missing out on potential profits and new fans. And they're now marketable to a larger audience. So the bigger a band gets, the further from the initial underground setting is most likely where the band will play, besides occasionally some small runs, occasionally some hooking up their friends, or maybe the uh you know, nostalgia, small room, small show, we're going to play this record, or you know, these kind of things that happen from time to time. But let it be known with success comes the ability expectation from the record labels from the management and all these bands we're talking about have management stuff you know like Green Day wasn't out there bringing the fucking exploited out on the fucking tour (laughs) fuck out of here man (laughs) it's just not the thing and 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 to that degree I think if if there was a writer who was writing and saying like this isn't like punk rock there's not an argument then but I mean later on by the time they're like a giant rock band that argument's quite fucking valid. And, and you know, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with the no shit Joe. Yeah, shit changed. You're not know, changed everything. I, I know that, motherfucker. I was there for it. And that's what I'm saying. The people writing this shit, I don't even know if they were there for it. They might have been alive, but they were probably listening to some fucking Umbob shit or who the fuck knows what the fuck they're listening to. But the way they're talking out of the side of their mouth from some empirical data. And because I write for this.com magazine that I have the ability to discern above you that this is going to be the forefront of a new time for hardcore. It's like, really? Cause, uh, I've been around and what, the time I have been around was fucked up and sideboat more. I've been around longer than the time that I wasn't around, which is fucked up, but I'm still deep and I'm still digging back in there. Just so I can catch up on shit that go, oh, fuck, it's crazy. That idea was already existing before we ever touched on it, you know? Sometimes the best ideas in hardcore have already come and are refreshed. And I think that for me, as I talk about the internet, I don't want people to think that it's like, yeah, this is a no shit. Obviously, the internet changed things. But I don't think in the the concept when we're talking about the thing that's going to change hardcore, you don't realize that the internet's everything. No longer are we completely dependent upon physical source material. If you did not own a cassette player or a vinyl apparatus or a CD player, you had no access to the music unless you sat there in front of your TV and you played VHSs. That's it. Analog. As my boy Carter said these tapes are neat. They're fucking cool as fuck. But if you didn't physically have the item, you didn't physically know. It's why every tape and every CD and every poster and every zine was like an artifact. You're like this is so fucking cool. This is so fucking cool. I got this fucking thing. Unless you're some rich kid and you're buying shit by the dozens, everything fucking mattered. It's so why if you bought that fucking booty-ass second or third record by some fucking hardcore band that wasn't good, you still played it off. Like, nah, this shit's dope, bro. Nah, I'm on some shit. You don't know about it. But it's not the truth. You fucking know it's not the truth. It's just that CD, that's what you copped with your money at that time, and you didn't have money to get something else, so you fucking made it work. And, you know, um, as we start talking about this other stuff, the, the concept of mixed bills and the concept of countercultures, or crossing the cultures, has been around as long as the outset of fucking hardcore itself, that fucking Thurston Moore from fucking Sonic Youth, that motherfucker was around, literally, dude, you know, like, at the outset, I beautifully said, if you haven't heard the Mike Gitter episode, which again, I owe it, episode number two of Mike Gitter, duly putting my notes why the fuck don't we have an episode two for Walter why don't we have an episode two for Mike Kidder Mike Kidder said hardcore one because the guy who played in scream won a fucking Emmy or Grammy for Foo Fighters remember Dave fucking Grohl was in a fucking hardcore band and if you listen to the Norm Brandon episode of this podcast You'd find out without Brotherhood, and without Shelter, and without all these fucking guys in these fucking hardcore bands, Captain Jazz, I forget the name of the hardcore band they were in, but like, every subculture sound still derived from the underground, and what's more dirty and what's more underground than the hardcore scene? Nothing. We're the bottom dollar, baby because punk gets bigger, those bands move on rock gets bigger, those bands move on heavy metal gets bigger, they move on hip hop, they get bigger, they move on our fucking forefathers be it the mob, be it Urban Waste, Poison Idea not Dead Kennedys because they got this whole fucking giant catalog and the punk gimmick and 40 years of fans and whatever but you get where I'm going with this 90% of the bands that were killing it in 1980, 99% of them aren't going to play in front of 1,000 people unless it's some hardcore fest or something. Most of them are going to play to 200, 300 persons. 40 years, it hasn't changed too much. But everywhere else, it grew. And why that's Putin understand is (laughs) hardcore is synonymous with this grittiness and this, like, Yeah, yes, yes, yes. You're never going to hear me give a fucking argument that any performance that is not hardcore and is tied into, like, DIY spaces has value as being, like, counterculture. But my argument, to counter the counterculture argument is the more access and exposure... Thank you, Ernie Talbert, if you listen to that episode. That people who are squares from outside our scene get to these DIY ideas of shows, yeah, you don't what? Anyone can fucking rent a fucking truck with their parents' money and put their band in the back of it and play. You don't just slap HC on the back of it. It doesn't make it punk anymore. Everything's a gimmick. I mean, Vinnie P, his man's the one who makes them dumbass jackets for the fucking rappers that are all fucking punk rocked out. You understand? The creators and these, you know, influencers are stealing from us now because they know the blueprint of what's cool is not what the squares haven't seen. You know, you get these idiots walking around, they're wearing jackets with, like, all this fucking shit on it. They don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> you know, uh, I live in a pretty wild-ass neighborhood right now. Uh, my head still goes, wait, what the fuck? I see a fucking Iron Maiden shirt on some hood rat kid was a fucking... With that thang on them, and I'm like, oh man, this is fucking crazy. Because these kids are just trying to wear some rock and roll shirts and be cool too. I wish I could give them the tape. Yo, you fuck with this, check this out. But that's not how it works. They want the shirt. They want the look because the people influencing are stealing from us. It's not without irony that it's all the time that's in like, oh, well, they co-opted. It's like... This punk rock movement, this underground subculture movement, the concept of taking a fucking PA or a way to project your music and sound and place it anywhere, pizza store, fucking out in the middle of the fucking sidewalk, out of a van, anywhere, that starts at fucking hardcore punk because we weren't allowed in places. Wherever it goes after, yeah, sure, you know, they can do it too, Uh, you know, but we're the fucking, you know, we got some fucking, we got some licenses being up there in the forefront of doing these things and I imagine if I did some research and I did some fucking time I imagine that all the bands who were the proto we have proto-punk even in you know in in every asset probably had to do the same kind of things because there wasn't an avenue the avenue was the street or the venue the place where someone thought it was fiscally worth the time to put this music on But when you have TikTok and you have Instagram and you have YouTube, our concept and ideas can be co-opted and used. So there are people who are doing things in these independent spaces and these work spaces and these punk spaces because they have nowhere else to go, but they're not part of the world. They're just some people from the college time or maybe college age who are trying to have their own experiences, but they could give a fuck less about the hardcore thing. They don't know about no Wadi. They don't care about Vinnie Stigma. And I'm probably talking to people who listen to that gridiron track who are like, bro, I don't fuck with Wadi." And I got to say, go fuck yourself. Listen to that punk rock shit. Not because you have to be studied and tested and get a degree in punk rockology 101, but because it'll tie you into an understanding of the things that made this thing what it is. And that's another thing, like, tomorrow, the way I was reading it from some people's comments on the internet, was that this TV show is going to get kids to go out and just become this died-in-the-pain hardcore person. And it's like, motherfucker, our entire hardcore fest culture, this is hardcore, is a part of this, is almost a, a uh, carbon of the festivals, be it tattoo convention, anime convention, any kind of like group hangout convention that happens these days, these hardcore fests are like that. Remember you yeah, had the UB, R.I.P. in Richmond, everyone get drunk at whatever bullshit hotel. Then they would get down to Philly and it would be at this hotel, Santa Fury was this, you know, at every place, every fest has a like their hangout after the show and their things. People are so surrounded by these things and this convergence and this social thing. And even with FYA, now there's people just get excited to go to the castle. You know, all this stuff's happened. These people aren't like, caring about Warzone or fucking giving a fuck about the shit that happened like the olympic coliseum and agnostic front and fucking all this crazy shit they don't give a fuck about none of that they're just trying to go drink party see their friends watch a couple cool bands and if they write about or they wear the t-shirt they'll feel more accepted in the culture they're not dyed in this motherfucker it's not as important to them. They're going to have a couple of years of you know, getting fucked, banging some people, watching some bands, buying some shirts, maybe even playing a band, and they're going to go off to Squareville. They're going to go do something creative, and, and the next wave will come in. That's what I keep getting back to when this really comes out to it. It's not that people are marginally losers and they're not as di- died in a pain. because that's not the case. It's just the time is short. Temporarily. This thing could be the biggest thing in your whole entire life. It hopefully is the exposure and the access that you need to not be pigeonholed into one fucking idea. And obviously there's so many stupid, rampant fucking ideas in hardcore in the entire spectrum. That can actually close mind you and fucking radicalize you to some stupidity instead of opening you to the different people that didn't live in your city, didn't live in your neighborhood. Concepts for me, like in the beginning, I didn't know what a fucking Hare Krishna was. I saw it on an airplane, the movie. I didn't know what veganism was. So many social ideas that I read in magazines and opened and broadened my spectrum of what I thought. And I've changed precipitously in many dire- directions because of people I'm friends with. Because of ideas that I've read about. Instead of challenging them or blocking them the fuck out. And that's the acts of exposure I'm also talking about. You know, like, hardcore is such a power. But a lot of times, it's not even harnessed. And I do believe sometimes it's not harnessed. Because if it's, it's easily remediated down to uh, just something I click on and listen to Spotify. I don't even really care about it. And, I, and I've made this alliteration and talked about it on the podcasts, And I've talked about it on Every chance I get, so if you heard me to say show Joe, yeah, we heard this. But if you're relegating everything to a click, and the con- the consumption of it is a press of a button, it does limit its ability to be special. It's disposable. This culture isn't disposable. And I and I, and I touched on a lot of that already, so I'm not going to continue to hit these same points. You understand? But in the same thing, I think. It needs to just be warranted that if it's just a click or so, such access, that specialty thing we're talking about, that analog thing, pre-internet thing, it, it doesn't. You'll never have the same thing, you know. If hardcore is in the same clickable box on your phone as an entire music library from every kind of sound possible. It's not going to be any bit special. And I see that in a lot of kids. And I see people playing crazy mental gymnastics, trying to make sure and draw lines to the comparisons and trying to pull these bands that are massively popular, massively commercially successful or limitly commercially successful, but have been around a long time because of their spike. And when the one time they were popular, I've had people try to make all these different arguments to try to fit the supposition or, you know, oh, I think this is how it was. And when you tell them on the internet, which is like, you might as well just fucking punch yourself in the face that are trying to tell somebody who wasn't there and explain the concept from a different angle because they have already decided for themselves, in their mind, this fantasy alternate world where this new metal shit was popular or this hardcore world where, oh, yeah, hardcore bands and death metal bands play together. But really when it came down to it is, is when the death metal and the hardcore bands were playing at the same size. By the mid 90s, it was a lot harder to see metal bands and hardcore bands, not just because the crowd and the dancing got so different, but also because of the fact is that the direction that the management and the ideas of the record labels were that the The two scenes were so discernibly different that it didn't have value to have these bands share stages. And So the idea of mixed bills became more of kind of like a novelty, whereas they were the regular as these bands were smaller. Though if you listen to the Carl A or the Bill Wilson episode of this podcast, you know, Mortician and them dudes grew up in the same fucking part as those guys did, and they all came up together. You know, just like my boy is able to be in Black Anvil and be in fucking Kill Your Idols you know it's like this is the shit that happens you know like these things walk hand in hand but at a commercially sellable situation they're separated and that's a huge part of this at the com- at the point of commerce nobody at that record label wants turns out to be called a hardcore band they don't want them pigeonholed because it's limited that's my that's my that's my thought and these kids aren't even old enough to have this stress, And it sucks that we bring them into this You know They're just a band Writing cool shit Doing cool shit And just being basically A different Updated version of the band they were Back when they were playing the small rooms And so I almost feel it's unfair To really put them at the center of a debate That's not even a debate It goes with this the band, The band will bring people to them Will young people listen to the catalog? Potentially. Will they discern immediately from listening to an older record that this step to the rhythm is akin to Agnostic Front or some hardcore band? No. They might start touching something. They might go down some wormholes. But since the wormhole's so long, if you don't go all the way down the hole, you know it's like, do you want to have a deep knowledge or do you want to have a wide but shallow knowledge. You know, for me, it's always been deep. I want to go deep on everything. I want to learn as much as I physically can. And that's how I am looking at this. Yes, a 20 or one-year-old does not want to look at 40 years of hardcore. But at the same time, that's why that 20-year-old, by the time he's 24, is over it. Because they haven't really understood the whole gravity of, and magnitude of what this culture really could be, or what it stands for, or how many people it touched. And that's why the waves come in and go out. Not only including that, that unless you're someone who can manage to still go to shows, most people really want to have families. They want to do the square thing, the birthday parties, and all that normal, everyday, you know, fucking Wally and the Beaver, fucking 1950s shit. That's the people that go out and they like, yeah, yeah, I still listen to Hardcore here and there. I got a lot of friends like, oh, yeah, we should going to show with Weiss. God bless the ones who have wives and kids. Good for you. But, you know, that's not the kids in the pit these days. And it never was. The old heads come out from time to time. It's cool to see when the kids come. It's cool to see my daughter in the pit now, as much as her game. Got to step it the fuck up a little bit. It's great to see these kids be the next generation every couple years and I I live for it, I live to see these young kids, I live to see them excited and I'm not trying to kill their exhilaration and I don't want to kill their excitement about being like oh I fuck with this band and it's like we just didn't celebrate our bands getting to some commercial point, numbers weren't really a factor, you know it didn't really change anything for us what these fucking bands did because I was more worried about the next show that weekend. I think that's the other part that we're missing out on. The average hardcore kid isn't concerned about the mainstream until the internet really comes into play. Now, these young kids, I don't even think it's 50-50. I think it's 20% they listen to the bands that are out now. 80% they're listening to some commercial shit that probably when they were kids, their parents listened to. So psychologically, it's comfort music or they remember listening to it. And, And there's no time to... Ever learn so when they do some shit with their dumbass hardcore band, to them they fucking like created something when it's like, no, you just regurgitated something that was already done 20 years before you without you even knowing it. And, and there's some comfort in that, right? Some kind of synchronicity where even when a band is writing stuff, they aren't really aware, they can still get pretty close. It's like, They might not bullseye it, but they might come pretty close to some shit that's already been out there. And you're like, hey, were you aware of this band? And I've had this conversation with kids. like, oh, you know what? No, it's this other thing. And I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised where the influence and the relationship to the sounds that they're performing without really being cognizant of some of the other stuff that had already happened. And it brings me back to believe that a lot of ideas in hardcore recycled earnestly, like trying to, or accidentally or just coincidentally because there's so many there's so many people playing so many things but all of it fits in this kind of spectrum. And it's hard to be out of the spectrum, right? This goes back to what I said. The, I, I can imagine so many bands that just didn't do the mold from the very first bands. I mean, there's people who didn't like hardcore the minute it was called hardcore. There's people in New York who are calling it Loud Fast. And when it started being hardcore, people were like, fuck it. When it became hardcore, I hated it. They didn't want a title to it. They were that fucking punk. got to give them credit for being like, nah, man, don't put no fucking title on me. A little wild compared to now, but that's the way it is, right? It's always going to be somebody who doesn't want to be labeled. And there's always going to be someone who doesn't feel like they have to be like everybody else. And I think sometimes we get lost in that as well. You know, like... I check out these young bands, sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't, sometimes they go, oh, I get where they were going with this, it's not really for me, but I know young kids will really feel it, other times a band, through like that Age of Apocalypse, you fucking hit on this vibe, and I'm like, man, this resonates deeply, man, I can't even remember, I think of the bands that sound like it, I'm like, oh fuck man, we're, we're on some deep vibes here, accidentally, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thing, and so you know the internet it did hardcore a lot of justice it helped grow make bands more commercially accessible record labels and ve- venues of commerce distribution wise were able to sell at a faster rate to a wider audience the argument can be made that without the internet, the growth of the scene may have stagnated and we never would have seen the next whatever the 2000s. And that argument could be made, you know? I mean, early 2000s was a huge group of bands that were all playing these giant things like this Hellfest and this Crazy Fest, you know, uh, the Converges, the American Nightmares, Poison the Wells, all these different bands that are lauded still to this day 20 years later were really starting to come into their own at that stage and it was in part because of the internet but not social media yet that these bands were really getting some huge crowds and to see some of them to now literally sk- like celebrating 20 years of certain records and fucking weird and awesome and, they're, and, they're, and every stage there's bands like this and you know... um there's timeless bands like the Killing Times, the Chain of Strengths, the Youth of Today's, the Gorilla Biscuits, the Judges, the Agnostic Fronts, the Madballs. You know, it's always timeless bands still out there ripping it. And I think it's in, because of the next cycle and the next wave of kids that come, they find it, and they get excited about it. And you know, it's a little weird for me when I see some kid who buys a shirt by some nominally unimportant band. And when I say unimportant, I mean a band that really didn't really play too much further than their hometown, maybe a couple towns over, maybe had some homeboys, but never really made a spark in the world, gets seen as a giant, oh, this band must have been so cool. And it's like, yeah, you're finding something and rewriting the story and the history around of a band that really didn't do anything at all except for have this release, which now you understand digitally because of a streaming service. And you're making an entire personality out of them And it's just fucking weird and bizarre I mean This whole digital enterprise is interesting The quality of demos is insane The speed in which These things can happen A couple hours after I say this You're going to be listening to this I I recorded a demo with my first band On a tape (laughs) Like an actual tape There's only X amount of tracks on this tape. (laughs) Physical. It's like you're physically limited. This is the size of the tape. This is the size it'll allow. You can't go further. And I'm talking into a microphone sitting on my couch. And I could probably release, because I have unlimited storage on this thing, a 48-hour podcast. And you would be stupid enough to listen to it if you actually did. There's no space, it's it's limitless. The internet has expanded and it's grown things in bizarre, unbelievably unexpected ways. But hardcore sometimes always kind of gets a little fat, lose a little weight, gets a little fat, lose a little weight. and then some new ideas come and they're kind of regurgitated and regurgitated. like there's no question and we could do entire episodes on like the metallic influence the different stages. You know, um, certain bands that decided to go back and basically cosplay straight edge bands from the 84, 85 era, which was later recopied in the 88 era. You know, like there's all these different times where a band is copying a band who is copying a band. And then you have this band that comes out with these, like, you know, um, the more I learned, the more I realized, like, one of my, you know, favorite bands, Sheer Terror. Without the nihilistics, there's no sheer terror. The antics of Paul Bear, I didn't see them, but the more that comes out, the more times like old stuff is codified and on the internet, you see this shit and you see Paulie in more of like a Ron Rancid kind of way than anything. You know, it's like, oh, fuck, look at him here. You know, it's like um, archaeology, reverse archaeology. The more that comes out, the more you'll be able to put on. A clear picture of what happened before you. And all that comes from immersion. All that comes from being excited. All that comes from not taking this entire fucking thing and just being, oh, I clicked on this song, I like this, so I bought this band's t-shirt. I saw them three times, it's cool, but it's not my whole life. Again, I'm not telling you if you don't subscribe to Hardcore for your entire life, you suck and you're not one of us, but I have a hard time relating to, accepting, and just being like, yeah, that makes sense. That some person that's seen some show that one time Bought a record, bought a t-shirt Seen some bands and was on from all this in two years Really gets this They might have consumed And they might have participated In specific events But they missed the whole point of this They missed what this whole fucking thing could be They missed the big Fucking thing To be surrounded with, like, oh, their moment. Poor their kids. Oh, I used to go to punk shows. (laughs) Yeah, dad, whatever. (laughs) You know, you can see that already being replayed. And that's the thing. Without the internet, so much changes. Without the speed, without the universal immediate access, so much in hardcore changed. And I could break this down even deeper. And And I do a decent job... For those who are just listening now and don't really check in, like, in these interviews, especially the people who are operating, like, record labels or they're doing things before the internet came, just hear it. It's really fascinating. It's why when we start talking to these guys and we start hearing about it, it's great to hear it in their terms and how it affected their business model and how they affected the say, like Time and time again, it's one of the most interesting things that we hear when we talk to people who are doing shit from like 85 up and through to the 2000s and 2000s hit and the whole fucking world changes. Especially with Bill Wilson from the record label, Darren Walters from Jade Tree. You know, like these are people pre-internet that really fucking, whew, man, things shame. Even Chris Bridge9 was kind of doing it before, you know, there was a dot-com situation for Bridge9. There might have been the hardcore... AOL chat room where 27 people or 25 whatever the number was was allowed to communicate together but not now now the whole world can talk while the show is happening and it happens all the time you could be at a show and someone who's not at the show will be tweeting about something that happened at the show and that's why this shit to me is ridiculous to even try to put into our world you know, um and I've done it. I've tweeted about a show that I'm not at. You know, it is what it is, you're sitting at home, you're not there, yeah, whatever. So I'm not fucking without sin here. But the to the bigger point is there was a moment in time where if you weren't at the show you didn't know shit. And I think that we're so far from it that it makes me not be able to even fathom trust or put my fucking faith in that anyone. Who's a young person is watching Jimmy Kimmel at all, and let alone watching Jimmy Kimmel for Turnstile, either, or that that's going to be the path to get them into hardcore punk. You know, if they're going to get into it, it's from TikTok. All these dumbass dickheads trying to monetize and steal videos from people to put on their TikTok to make their TikTok popular. It's stupid, but hey, man, do what you want to do. I don't really give a fuck. Seen a couple ones where people are like, Stealing shit from YouTube to put on TikTok. And it's like, cool, you're exposing idiots who don't know anything about our culture. And it doesn't change the fact that no matter who is playing, whoever the big band is, never seen anything come in and make every single hardcore show in the big cities, a thousand persons for every band that's playing. That shit was not the case. And this shit was never going to be the case. Because... The more people that know about this and the more shows that happen, the more, the more, the more, the more, the more. So it's less important. And, you know, again, it comes down to the youth, what the youth are interested in versus what the old and what they're interested in. So very few times you see a lot of different people from different ages at one show. And that's another huge part. I mean, you're talking about the rings and the waves of people that come in and come out from hardcore. Certain tours bring certain people out at certain times. Certain bills will bring multiple different uh, arrays of people that were, I was around in the early 2000s, I was around in the mid-2000s, I was around in the late 2000s, all in a room. You know, it doesn't, there's never been a show where everybody, like an official, everyone has to come to the show. It's never going to happen. So you're always going to see the same amount of people, plus or minus 100 to 200 people at any various stages of these shows after booking shows for 25 years, the data shows that. The data shows that hardcore shows really haven't ever gotten to this bigger point universally for everyone. It's always been for some. And that's why, again, it goes back to one more point against this whole fucking notion. And I think that once you understand that the internet is a service that helps, but unless you're listening to like the Jerry A. audiobook, which would be sick as fuck if he ever did an audible version of this because reading it is fantastic. But unless you're physically holding that tape, which is why I think Carter said it was so neat, or you're sitting there listening to a CD and reading the biohazard thanks list and what bands they were playing with. There was a band called Wargasm <laughs> from Boston took me forever to actually listen to them. But I owned several pieces of music that they were thanked on. And the band names from hardcore were always so fucking cool. miss used to die to get in that CD. Oh, I, gotta hear, I would write the band names if I thought they were cool. So fucking cool. Somebody's fucking only living witness. They think there's going to be some crazy band. It's some dude with a beautiful voice and some heavy ass rocking riffs. I mean, get the fuck out of here, man. That's the shit I fucking live for. I don't even know if Turnstile has a CD... That has a thanks list with some bands that's gonna put people on. I don't even fucking know if the kids are looking... You can't click a fucking... Spotify or a YouTube link and fucking get a thanks list. You know, there's so many things have just changed. It's not like, oh no, it's changed. It's gone. Well, fuck you. No, it's not that. Just, it's different. It's made the interaction process... And the not indoctrination but the seeding of true interest be quicker to come in and out of someone's head because it's no different. What's the difference between this band that I click on here and another band I click on there? I don't see a difference. So many people that post these stupid old videos from YouTube, these stupid bands, these stupid things, they, oh, this is going to be so cool. And you're like, no, look at it. It sucked. It was terrible. Oh, you're just a hater. No, I was actually there, pussy. You're like a fucking time traveler going back and looking on the internet. And trying to tell me how things were when I was fucking there, saw it, knew the band sucked, knew those people sucked, knew those songs sucked. You know, it's like that, like I said over time, like the little brother who finds the broken G.I. Joe with the big brother and thinks it's the coolest thing ever. But hardcore now, 2022, unbelievably, probably one of the wild years where there is growth in Philadelphia. I have actual faith and hope that some of these young punks and these college art kids that are just coming to shows because of these social media platforms and because of this COVID and them sitting around looking for cool shit are finding new opportunities to expose themselves to new cool punk ideas and they can expand and they can decide what kind of person they want to look like and we see these kids and they're not afraid to dress wild, big chains, crazy hair goofy pants, all this different shit and that's another thing that's kind of cool about the early stages of a punk, is they're more outlandish it's hardcore man, you can't just stand out you have to look in let me say that again, in the hardcore world, you can't stand out you gotta look like you're already in and I've never liked that. That's why I I wore jungle boots and sweatpants and hood shit and had a fade, but uh, wore a Fred Perry with some broken-ass shorts. Like, I was a fucking mix. I never, wa- I never looked a perfect part of anything, you know? Be wearing some goofy-ass, giant, pure players or fubu shorts and a Cradle of Phil shirt rocking ice on stage with a Cyworths Phillies hat. I <laughs> just didn't give a fuck. And uh, maybe I should... I always say... I should've dressed up like the fucking Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors back in the day. Just looked like this crazy, ostentatious pit creature. So I just did me. But these kids are coming out. They're coming at the Drain Show in October. I've seen them at the Casualty Show at the church. They're they're not afraid to fly that card. And I give them love. I give them respect. And I and I imagine they probably are hip. the ones probably fucking psyched on the turnstile stuff. So I try not to shit on them. They don't know enough. They don't know about the war zone. They don't know about the Lower East Side. They don't know about the Olympic Auditorium. They don't know about negative approach and the meat men and all this other cool shit that was like around probably when their parents were getting fucking born at this fucking point. Jesus Christ. I give them some fucking umbrage and I say, cool, this is your spot now. Like, what are you going to do with it? You know? And And I have hope that these kids come in and they whether they just fly their punk car while they're going to college and they figure some shit out and at least maybe this thing that they get immersed in and this exposure to these different ideas will make them not raise some square ass boring ass children 15, 20 years from now. But it'd be cool if they did some cool ass music. Cool if they stuck around and just got involved and beep part of the whole thing. You know, the punishment show and the bad luck thing I talked about last week as I said felt like a family reunion. Felt like Man, it's so crazy we're all still here and that there's still people still coming. Especially when you got people like Adam who his heart went bad, he still lived, he had the fucking things with his legs, he's in a wheelchair. That motherfucker's still coming because this music still fucking matters. Some of this stuff, because of this entry point music that some of these people are clicking on, becomes an entry life to a thing that is their entire fucking life. Just mathematically, the probability of being a lifer is very slim because there's other shit to do. There's shit that's also cool, and the internet provides that, and I, I can't blame them, I mean, I do some cool shit besides hardcore, you know, not just my job, you know, I'm Freemasonry and fucking a medievalist, and I love books and different shit like that, but I, I love my place here, I love my, my people, this is the thing I grew up in, and so I take this shit seriously. And I also love learning about new things that were new old things, new new things. I like seeing what someone does when they take this idea and they expand on it. The only thing I really fucking hate is reading some dumbass opinion by from some dumbass writer who just wants to get clicks. Starts stoking some fires and in this stupid debate that weighs on by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So, I do this episode. I tell you that Turnstile is absolutely fantastic if you listen to that kind of stuff and that if you're into that sort of music right now and you're a young kid this could be the exposure point that gives you the access to so much cool fucking shit or it could just be a band that you see when they come play the giant rock venue I don't know how the fuck it's gonna work but I do know that our world will basically stay the same plus or minus it's the way it is, it's the way it's been every single time it doesn't mean Turnstile sucks, because they don't. It just means that there's yet to be a singular fucking band with a singular fucking record that has made the entire thing rise up. It just doesn't happen. It's never happened. It's not intended to happen. The commercial successes, the giant capacity rooms are the absolute diametric opposite of what our world is. So for someone to come in and then conflate the two would be very fucking hard. And I don't see it. And that's my point of view. I don't see it. And I never saw it. And I look at the back times. I mean, the Beastie Boys and Murphy's Law toured together. Murphy's Law was playing CBGBs and the Wetlands a couple, less than 10 years later. Even though they played stadiums together. Murphy's Law played with fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers going and have one of the, some of the biggest songs when this band is playing these fucking small ass rooms and Murphy's law played over them. Does't mean Murphy's Law sucks? just means that sometimes these big acts come in and they might have a place or a time in the culture. Where they're playing these venues, they're playing on the same level of our heroes. But ultimately those bands move on. I talked about it before, Korn. You know, Korn played some shows with Sick of It All and iron iron nine millimeter. You know, uh, Quicksand Civ was a tour when I was in my second year of high school. Quicksand would break up, Civ would take over, and Deftones would be the opener. Deftones, Tones, Smile, and and Civ. Sergio from Quicksand would eventually join Deftones. <laughs> you know, Deftones was opening when up being a lot fucking bigger than Civ, Gorilla Biscuits, <laughs> fucking any of them bands. Commercially. But no one's out here trying to write an entire alternate history of why Deftones is a hardcore band. Because it's clearly not. You know, Rob Flynn from fucking um, Bay Area was in violence. OBHC tattoos all over and whatever. Did Machine Head. They opened for Slayer. Now, motherfuckers doing violence again. You know, like these bands have waning um, popularities, record cycles, and make them up and down. And all this doesn't really affect the size and the shape of what we are because what we are is different. We are who we are. We are still the bastion of what underground music is because despite the Easy access to click that fucking thing. Like we played this song on the show at the beginning of the show, Gridiron, No Good you know, no good at goodbyes. You know, yeah, the new record's out. You can just Google that and click the button to hear it. But you can also hear it on the show. That's how easy it is to click on these things. But even that it makes our shit still special. And that's why I think sometimes it almost gets overlooked in the uniformity and the conformity to what is presented as a professional package so all the consumers might want to buy it that's how it's marketed oh, you don't want to turn yourself away from a, you know every you know, a non-hardcore consumer and, and I, it's a, I've been making the same point in different ways for an hour and a half so I'm going to stop thank you for listening make sure if you're interested in Philly hardcore shows you go to philly 8 We are working on This Is Hardcore 2022. This will be the weekly updates when we start having them. We don't have them yet. Make sure you go to www.thisishardcorefest.com. I do a podcast with two celebrated veterans of the hardcore podcasting community. Richie Crutch, who's in Wisdom and Chains. Z9, the Old school PA godfather himself was in Crutch Mushmouth. He did this amazing podcast called Post America Podcast. It's got some new episodes coming up. Obviously, Wisdom and Chains is the band from the land of the kings. Richie's one of my best friends in the world. When I started doing the show, he gave me all the hips and support. And the OG, Jeff Gavin, Crescent Tattoos, does Broad Street Breakdown, Vinny Paz, Pablo. These guys have been doing the fucking podcast for over five years. Started doing this podcast. G and I talk every week about my show that comes out. This guy's got my back. Uh, Last May we started a podcast called Rule of Three. Last week we came out of episode 10. We're going to be recording some new shit soon. Check out the Rule of Three. Thank you for supporting This Is Hardcore Podcast. And I hope that you didn't get bored in the last hour and a half. Make sure to check out Gridiron. April fucking ninth, Philly eight dot com. Peace.